Hi, it's Chris Perryman, and welcome to the Where's It To podcast, sponsored by Zump. We're bringing you the lowdown on anything Bristol, whether it's from CEOs to Wurzel shows or Colpit Heath to brushing your teeth, you'll be really sure to enjoy a listen. So without further ado, here we go. We hope you enjoy the ride. Hi, this is the Bristol Business Sport and Lifestyle Podcast, powered by Zump. My name's Chris, I'm the host, and I have with me Ollie Cohn from Bristol, of Jolly Hog and of Rugby Fame. So, hi Ollie, how are you doing? Hi mate, yeah, good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, very warm in this yeah. uh, in this office today, it's a, it's a bit of a sweat box, so um, yeah, uh, if I do pass out halfway through, <laughs> please pick me up off the floor. So uh, obviously having had to turn the fan off and aircon and everything else to make sure that the noise quality is the best it can be on our very first uh, very first podcast. So um, yeah, so nice to meet you. Obviously haven't, uh, haven't met before and um, but have heard quite a lot about you. Um, the famous uh, pig wings in, uh, in pigsty. Is it pigsty or pigsty? P- uh, pigsty as in like where a pig, yeah, a pig lives. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, no, but loads of people... I hear it all the time Bristolians like you're a pigsty and I'm like no no pigsty but I get it yeah um, just quickly if you are really hot or happy to go fully naked for this pod absolutely fine it might be fully naked um, is, is fine but uh, unfortunately my body already looks like a melted candle yeah. so uh, ditto so I'm comfortable <laughs> with that that's fine that's the uh, the rugby uh, the rugby <laughs> ethos uh, coming into it so um that sounds absolutely fantastic and uh, not very uncomfortable at all. Um, so yeah, jokes aside, pigsty, pigsty. We've had a you know I've, I've, I run a, a business in Bristol and um, we have a very big debate whether it is pigsty or pigsty. But yeah. uh, going back to the office now will be very good with a very smug look on my face and uh, hopefully with some uh, some good discount from uh, from pigsty on the pig wings as well. Um, so Ollie, obviously you've not always worked in sausages and. Uh, and, and meat, should we say? Um, you sort of tell us about sort of where you started, how how you kind of you know, obviously not from the yeah. the minute you were born, but yeah. uh, we haven't got that long. So obviously, you know, famously the the, the rugby career and and sort of playing for Bristol and, yeah. and other teams, think, things like that. How uh, how so, was that? Yeah. So I guess like my um, working life was when um, I well I, I always had jobs as a kid, and I was always kind of like passionate about food. Um, first few jobs were like working at TGI Fridays as a server assistant so like I wasn't old enough to be an actual waiter but I was old enough to sing happy happy birthday like 30 <laughs> times a night at Cribs when TGI Fridays opened so I got, yes. got I wouldn't say that was like where I got into food but that's where I kind of started working a bit in food then I was I, I stacked spuds in Sainsbury's um, they didn't really have a big enough uniform for me so I had to dig I had to sort of get rid of that um, and then for me, my working after that, I r- rugby was the thing for me. So I went to college at St Brendan's College, okay, and I had this incredible coach. And you know where they say there's like one teacher can potentially change the direction. Mm-hmm. I had this guy called Keith G, who I still owe a lot to. And there's lots of people along the way who've helped me out, but Keith G was like, "You're big, you're really unfit, but you look quite strong. Do you fancy playing rugby?" And I was like, "Well." <laughs> sort of but I'm not sure really. I'm into drama I like doing drama that's my thing my mum's got me into that um, I used to be part of a, a drama group at, at a young age and that was my thing and he, he ran with me so he made me run um, and it was down Iron Mould Lane down the back of St Brendan's and um, uh, he ran with me Tuesdays and Thursdays decided to get fit and start playing rugby and from there I, um, I got my first um, rugby contract nice which was 
two grand a year to play in the academy um, for Bristol and it was a pretty amazing thing for me to like I never ever dreamt of being a rugby player professionally but when that day came um, I was like wow um, you know get, I'm getting paid to do something I love doing um, and I worked actually at an advertising agency just down the road about 300 yards from here um, opposite Princess Pantry um, and um yeah, so I worked there in the mornings, trained in the afternoon, and basically learned what it was like to be a professional rugby player from an academy point of view. Um, get beaten up most weeks against playing and training against the first team. Um, and, and that's where my rugby career kind of kicked off um, at Bristol. And it, it was great for me because as a kid, my, dad, my dad's diehard rugby, diehard Bristol, been through the thick and thin, mm. been a season ticket holder for a long time. And he would take us to the memorial ground back in oh, the gosh, day yeah. back then it was yeah. uh, Rovers and uh, Bristol Rugby wasn't it yeah so he'd take us there and got lots of fond memories of mainly surrounding food and rugby where we'd go we'd have a cup of Bovril a Clark's uh, pie yeah 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 a Clark's pie or a pasty um, and and then you know watch Bristol and, and that's where you know love of food and rugby came in um, and then yeah very lucky and fortunate to, to play rugby and that's where it started when I was 18 Brilliant. So, yeah, it often kind of, I mean, Christ, I, I was uh, in the school rugby team for about five minutes. Um, <laughs> as a bigger lad at school, it was like, yeah, you, you're a rugby player, not a footballer. Yeah. Um, but I then soon off uh, soon became known as Offside Chris. So that was as, as quick as uh, my rugby c- career started. It uh, it finished at the same time and uh, and ended up in, uh, in finance, mortgages, and business. So um, yeah, a lot shorter than your story. <laughs> so sort of tell me about sort of what other clubs you, you've been yeah. at Bristol. Uh, yeah. Was it Harlequins? You've yeah, been so well? I went to Bristol. Um, had some time there. Went to Plymouth for a year, um, which was a league below and then came back signed for Bristol I snapped my knee um, I got binned off from Bristol which you start to learn like the harsh realities mm. of what professional sport is like um, and, and actually at the time I, I always felt like I mean the game's changed so much um, since then but at the time we were still learning you know what does professionalism mean mm. um, so you know how much should we be training and that sort of stuff anyway I snapped my knee I was out for a while um, ended up getting picked up by Harlequins um, which was fantastic for me um, and um, and that's where things really kicked off for me and we had um, some really really good times um, and we won a European Challenge Cup in that time we won the Premiership in 2012 which mm. was incredible to be part of um, and then we also won the Anglo-Welsh so it's just like three trophies across three years in a time where I had, you know, I was lucky to be surrounded by some incredible players some great internationals and then it, it, towards the end of my career there, I, um, I was lucky enough to be capped um, for Wales, um, which I kind of never thought would happen. Mm. Still get loads of shit about it now. Every time England <laughs> play Wales, they're like, who are you supporting? Um, and yeah, um, this is kind of a whole story around that, which is ridiculous. But I got, um, I got capped once. I played... Um, Actually, should I just tell you the story or not? Go for it. Why um, not? So it's, it's a little bit painful, but um, effectively, I was playing for Quinns. Things were going quite well. There's a few injuries in the Welsh camp, and um, one of the boys tweeted um, this little campaign hashtag Cone for Wales because he'd spoken to my dad, and my dad had said, "Oh, do you know Oliver's got um, a Welsh grandfather?" Which um, this guy Dave Ward, who actually is a coach at Bristol, mm. finds really funny. And uh, anyway, Hugo Monnier then did a similar sort of tweet and he's got a lot more followers. 
um, hashtag Cone for Wales. And anyway, the, <laughs> the next day I had a call with BBC Wales. They were like, are you Welsh? I was like, yes. Um, uh, and then <laughs> did a whole interview about it. And then Rob Howley called me and said, do you fancy, um, do you fancy coming into the camp? Um, we've got Ireland next week um, and we're short. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I got packed up my bag, got onto camp. Um, and then, yeah, ended up playing. Um, I, I played eight minutes um, off the bench against Ireland for Wales, which I just kind of never thought would happen, but it was incredible to be part of a Six Nations game. Yeah, absolutely. I was meant to play the next week um, against France and I tore my hamstring uh, in the training session the day before. Oh. Um quite badly uh, and which meant um, I wasn't part of the rest of the campaign which I'm still gutted about today but ended up being uh, uh, yeah playing a very 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 tiny bit uh, in that campaign where they ended up winning the Six Nations so I get loads of shit for it but I don't care because I've still got a Six Nations winning medal um, in my house somewhere Um, and it was an amazing experience but yeah lots do you know what I've had lots of career highlights and I'd summarise my rugby career by saying I learned absolutely loads about myself uh, that I was able to bring into um, the world outside of rugby into the real world of business Um, and I had a great time doing it I felt like I was at at a time where rugby was like we got the balance right of having a really good crack like we went on the lash we went on the piss we had a good time but we were also professional and we went and won things so did, I feel didn't go down fortunate. the M4 in a, in a golf buggy. No, 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 no. <laughs> wasn't that time. No, no, no. Well. I wasn't that loose, but no, it was great. No, there's some really good stories from uh, a lot of rugby people that uh, you see online and uh, sort of friends I know, and yeah, that you could go on, do a whole series of podcasts with that. So obviously, you know, you've gone from, you've explained that your sort of career is, you know, there's highs, lows, there's injuries, there's, you know, being dropped from Bristol, going to, to Plymouth, Harlequins, yeah. things like that. Obviously, then all of a sudden hit this like career pinnacle of winning the Prem, the the Anglo Cup, and whatnot. I've seen I've seen a lot of things recently where, in careers in sports, people you know take uh, is it Israel the MMA, uh, MMA fighter? You know yeah. they they sit there and go right, I want to be MMA world champion. Yeah, they achieve it. Yeah. And then they're clinically depressed. Yeah. Because like, what's next? Did, you, did, did that affect you at all, or have you? Yeah. Like, I think um, when I reflect on it, because I, I I reflect on it, and I go, wow, what what an amazing time it was for me. Because I probably achieved more than I ever thought I would. Um, yes, I set out some goals, mm-hmm. um, and yes, I achieved some great things. I could have done more, definitely. But um, it, you do drop off a cliff. Like, however you're, however much you're prepared for life after rugby or if you achieve something it is difficult psychologically and there is a real kind of thing and there's a lot more around it in terms of developing players for life after professionalism no matter what sport it is because the highs are incredible the lows are super super dark we call it we used to call it the you know when we were having what we called a sappuccino um (laughs) and talking about the hard times we used to call it the roller coaster because Mm. You go from playing in front of 80,000 people um, and getting, you know, an amazing win to losing and, you know, being slated in the papers. And it is it is rough. Um, but as I said before, I think, I think the more you can do for life after that, the better. And it's the same in any career, right? Mm. So if you're teeing yourself up for your next move with rugby... We, I finished at 33 so I've got a whole other career right? exactly and I think that it's almost a blessing and a curse with rugby isn't it because the, the, the lifespan of a rugby player is, is probably that much shorter than a footballer 
um, financially you're not yeah. on you know 600 grand a week or something stupid like that it's you know you do see a lot of rugby players have using those transferable skills to then um, to then be able to kind of go into business mm. um, you know so say for instance Jolly Hog for example yeah. you know um, and all the different businesses you're now involved in um, that you know there's a lot of transferable skills you can then use to apply um, which which you then make a success and I suppose from from that perspective is then your next goal and your next goal and mm. your next goal so you're kind of breaking them down into chunks mm. and, uh, and making it better which is um, which is obviously good so yeah um, so sort of tell us moving forward into your life after rugby how, how did how did Jolly Hog come about in the, the yeah the meat business so I guess like, as I said I, I was, I've always been into food it's always been my thing and throughout the time as a rugby guy, rugby player I, you have time so like instead of playing Call of Duty I was thinking right what am I going to do uh, and lots of rugby lads or footballers sit around and go I'm going to open a coffee shop or I'm going to get into property and property development Half, well most of them don't I was like right on my Wednesday off I'm going to go and do things so I did um, I went and worked at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant peeling tomatoes um, for a gazpacho soup you know for 12 hours to realise Michelin star food isn't for me Um, and I did things like that so um, and then it's but Jolly Hog started when I had my second knee reconstruction knew I was on the kind of uh, well I was just you don't use knee cartilages in your sausage no we don't (laughs) that's a good idea though Uh, it might be a bit tough Um, but yeah so I, I basically I I had my second knee reconstruction was out for a year and I started uh, my wife bought me a sausage making machine for my birthday in March 2007 Um, started making sausages I've got this kind of like uh, I go through phases but this was like a big phase of I was fully addicted to learning how to make the best sausage nice Um, fully obsessed with how I could do this Uh, YouTube my wife would be like I'd be on the looking at my phone at 3 o'clock in the morning watching YouTube videos um, I'm dyslexic so it's the best way for me to learn and curing bacon and I so I took the sausage making machine and I was like right wh- wh- I need an outlet I'm making loads of sausages here half of them are good half of them are awful where can I get out and sell some of these things and I said to Josh my youngest brother um, mate you're not enjoying working for my old man my old man had a a, a, dec- a, a successful cabinet making business on the feeder road okay. um, and um Josh was uh, working for that and he was just like um, yeah you're right I was like well why don't you come and make sausages with me and we'll just give it a crack come and chase the sausage dream and um, yeah and, it, and it, it was it, that's where it started so we started making sausages said to Josh what should we call ourselves he went to the, our local which is called the Cross Hands called me up that night and was just like what about the Jolly Hog and Sausage Company and I was like why Jolly he was like well Josh and Ollie Jolly that's mm-hmm. where the name came from and then yeah we we basically started and we it was no business plan at all it was literally like let's make some sausages and let's sell them but let's make them the best we can um which i just love like i love that kind of naivety of it all at the start um and then yeah we started making sausages and day one we um we were at an autumn international in the car park we had a gazebo um a pretty dodgy barbecue that we bought for 500 quid and made sausages on the thursday sold them on saturday and um we, we, we took uh, 500 quid that day and we, we literally were like high-fiving each other thinking we were millionaires <laughs> and uh, we realised it cost us 800 quid to be there and we had absolutely no idea what we were doing but people love the sausages. So that was it. Um, that was day one and obviously the business has changed a lot since then but it was, you know, it was great and it still is. And the rest is history, as they say. So, 
Yeah, obviously, £500, £800 take-ins, £300 loss, but yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think, <laughs> you know, often we, we sort of, in my business, we have a sort of, well, one of our values is, is Jufty. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's just fucking do it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you can sit there and write a bloody perfect business plan, but if you don't get off your ass and, and, and kind yeah. of, you know, crack on with it, it's just, it's a paperweight at the end of the day, isn't it? I think, what what learnings do you think you have from that? And, you know, obviously doing that first yeah. event where you, you did make a loss, but, you know, you had some bloody great sausages. Mm-hmm. Where do you think... What have we learned from it? What have you changed? What what changed your outlook on the, on the way? Because obviously now you know with Jolly Hog, you're in Tesco, Sainsbury's, all the yeah. you know, big supermarkets. What what changed from there to now? Well, shitloads. Um, <laughs> loads has changed. What have we learned? Loads. Are we still learning? Definitely. I think that example of kind of just do it is 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 really interesting because at the time we were just like just set on like it was. It, completely uh, innocent we had no business plan but it was just like let's go out and sell as many sausages as we can make them the best we can in as many different channels as we can uh-huh. so we'd be offered something and before we knew exactly what it all was we'd go yeah we'll do it cool and we'd then work out how we'd do it afterwards so we'd be offered gigs that were like way too big for what we could actually do um, and then we'd just go and work out how we do it afterwards um, mm-hmm. and, and, and t- we don't do that as much now but we definitely are still, and, and I think that's a really good way to be because we weren't scared of kind of going out and winning stuff. So, for example, now our group, our business has got a big chunk of it. Most of it is retail, mm-hmm. supplying the big retailers. Yep. We've got a little restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, we've got an events business. We've got a fixed site at a train station. We've got other uh-huh. stadium fixed sites. Yeah. Uh, and we also do other private stuff now and again. So Brilliant. we still do, diff- we still got various different channels. But we because we kind of we're comfortable with that and another thing we kind of always talk about is just is is pushing ourselves and feeling you know that it's the eddie jones analogy of feeling comfortable uh being uncomfortable yeah um and you know every day as you know when you've got your own business there's no do two days the same and it feels really uncomfortable at times and actually i take a lot of uh i really like meeting other business owners especially bristol-based ones and just sharing some war stories because just sharing the dark times, the highs, the lows yeah. um, makes you stronger. And I think the us as a business, we've just learned to be quite fairly robust yeah. um, as characters because you have to be. And going back to that Eddie Jones analogy of feeling comfortable being uncomfortable, I think it's one of those things. And we, I definitely see it in my industry and in my business. If, you know, not one day is the same, you're no. always moving forward. And it scares me if I just, if I go into work one day and it's, sort of same shit different day mm. and it's just like humdrum and it's easy that gives me more anxiety mm. than thinking god I've got too much going on I think obviously you know there's synergy with that and, and, and Jolly Hogg in the fact that you've, you've got you know an omni-channel business where you've yeah. got you know in sports stadiums you've got um, you, you, your amazing restaurant down here in Wapham Wharf and uh, and obviously retail which obviously is yeah. going to be yeah uh, um, out to the masses and I think yeah it, it definitely you can see the skills from rugby and sort of always looking to push yourself that bit more has kind of obviously transpired very well in business but rugby's but rugby's really helped that yeah. you know like it was very uncomfortable at times yeah. physically emotionally mentally um, it taught me so much I didn't realise it at the time 
because it was just part of what we did every day. Yeah, but yeah. it was so uncomfortable. It and, was like no place to hide. And there's a lot of parallels, isn't it? You know, obviously you've got your prep, you've got the match. You know, yeah. so in business you've got you know making the sausages, going out to the stall, and then yeah. actually probably what's more uncomfortable in business is sitting down and going shit what have I done what have I done well what have I done mm. wrong because it's the one thing that often gets off and look that's for me is is the ice bath after the game in rugby yeah. you know you sat there freezing your knackers off and uh, yeah. and then using that to kind of build on that and, and move and, and and so so what challenge do you see within the sort of jolly hog business moving forward I mean you've got this big vegan push and, and the anti-meat and mm. the, I think I've just seen re- recently there's a company that has got uh, lab-grown meat mm. that tastes like human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any plans for sausages that taste like uh, Susan tastes, down the road? Or tastes like human. Yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, so, what what are the challenges? I guess I mean, there's loads. Um, currently, we're sat in a whole world of inflation and cost price increases and retail prices, and you know, it's we're heading into quite a tough challenge that mm-hmm. we you know we haven't been through before. Um, there's been labour shortages because of Brexit within our industry. Um, lots, I'd say, veganism is uh, is nothing compared to some of those other challenges. Um, mm-hmm. And my view is um, on well, I mean, we can go quite deep on on veganism and vegetarianism and everything like that. But my view is I'm reading a really really interesting book at the moment called The Great Plant Based Con. Um, which I recommend by Jane Buxton, um, uh, who I know. And it's, I guess, where we sit in terms of the brand and why people buy us is because uh, my analogy is that I accept that people are eating less meat and probably should eat less meat um, in a balanced diet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, when it comes to processed meat, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we sit at a point where I believe where we're outdoor bred British yeah. pigs um, first and foremost we're really good quality in terms of what we do and we're high meat content so if you're so Chris if you're that guy that used to eat three bacon sandwiches but you're taking it down to two a week right but in your game right those two that I'm going to have I'm going to make sure they're banging I'm going to make sure they're amazing I'm going to go thick cut black treacle dry cured double smoked bacon in a sourdough with butter and a really nice brown sauce that's what that's where you sit and that's where we you know that's where i believe that we sit so i get that people are eating less um but hopefully they're eating better quality um and and happy to pay a bit more for it i know i appreciate that it's not easy to pay more at the moment um so there's lots of challenges but that isn't probably our biggest one no i I, you know i think i agree i think you know it's it's one of those things and and not being a svelte six-pack guy myself um you know i think there's 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 definitely people sit there and i think the 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 press at the minute is all about oh you want to ban junk food ads Mm. and sugar content Mm. and in my opinion I know what I'd put in my mouth. Mm. I know that if you don't move enough, you don't, and you eat too much, you're going to get fat. Yeah. But that shouldn't then make you want to then go, oh, I don't want to eat a sausage because it's processed. But yeah. actually, like you're right. If you've got a sausage that you know is a pack of ten Richmonds, yeah, uh, not the cigarettes. Uh, I don't don't smoke <laughs> in. <laughs> um, you know, you know full well. Yeah. There's probably all sorts in that, and mm. and I think actually you've probably hit the market a really good crest of a wave in that. People want quality over quantity, yeah. uh, and I think you know if 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 you're happy to go in, because 
again, you understand that you pay for what you get. You're going to pay more than a you know pack of twenty five frozen sausages from. Uh, I was going to say quick save then, but I realised it was in nineteen ninety five. Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! I meant to say uh, uh, co op or little yeah. whatever. Anyway. Um, Jesus, that's a blast from the past. Um, yeah, I think obviously the, the the quality is there and you can kind of see that. And I think how, how have you, when you go into a restaurant, you know, what, mm. I took my guys down to the, the pigsty the other day. Um, pigsty. Pig, pigsty. Pigsty. God, you said you it caught right. Me, caught me off no, you then. You said it right. Because we went down there with the guys um, downstairs and, and were blown away mm. by... Uh, pig wings which is the second time I've now mentioned them in this podcast I sat there and just didn't stop going on about them they were fantastic you know that word of mouth is really good because you can then go right I've then gone into this restaurant now as it happened I couldn't go to the second time all the lads from the office went down then went out on the beers and they'd sold out of pig wings shit (laughs) it was devastating but what I'm sort of trying to say by that story is the fact that it's word of mouth you know yeah. it's easy to go right go to that restaurant and do you know what? we're really really lucky in Bristol because there's loads you know we've we got a fantastic Scrum. food scene here in Bristol yeah. how does that work in the retail arena you know so do you pick a pack of sausages up and go oh you know yeah. do you use social media do you use promotion how does that part yeah. of your business work in terms of marketing our business and retail yeah that's a big that's a biggie I guess just going back to that word of mouth stuff I, I love hearing that um, because especially in Bristol, you know, we're quite everyone backs independence. My big thing is that people trust people. So if I'm at a barbecue with you and I've just met you and I'm like, oh, what are those? Mm. And you pull all these out and you talk about um, three brothers from Bristol. People are into the story. I'm bought into it and then become loyal. Still, I believe our word of mouth. I mean, obviously, people are driven by price, mm. and if they see a discount and a red label, people are driven by that. Um, how how we market ourselves is we we like to try and do things a bit different. We're a challenger brand, right? So yeah. we haven't got the same budget as Richmond, um, Heck, and others that we're uh-huh. competing against, right? So we have to do things slightly differently. So the first thing we try and do is be real. We're real people. We're three brothers. We're from mm-hmm. Bristol. We love sausages uh, and bacon. We love our products, and hopefully that shows. So that is in everything that we do around all the marketing, all the social. The other thing we try and uh, invest in and and get a return on is is the influencer market. So um, there's a lot of uh, ambassadors. We call them ambassadors. So we have them, and they're part of our crew. Um, give them product, um, and they talk about them. We don't pay them. Um, but um, that gets us a really big reach. Uh, and then our other kind of, it's not a secret weapon, it's our, one of our biggest things that we've done and it's kind of organically grown is because we've got a restaurant, because we've got a fairly sizable events business, you know, we were at Glastonbury last week with two stalls, we are at Goodwood, um, we are at Taste of London. Mm. Uh, we've also got a train station. We can, we can speak to people, we can talk to people. Like we can go, here's our product, um, what do you think? Um, and we can gather insight and information from people that are buying it rather than just trying to s- sell them uh, a retail space. So I guess activating, in, in the marketing marketing jargon, it's called activational experiential marketing. Yeah. For us, it's just like we go to events and we tell our story and we sell great bangers. Um, and, and I think that's one of our kind of key things is how we bring it alive as a real thing. Because there's lots of phony brands out there, but we are real. 
Absolutely. I think, and, and those businesses that do it for the sake of doing it, you know, it's like a, a, a company that does corporate social responsibility, you know, yeah. they just do it to tick a box. Mm. Uh, <coughs> large banks. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, greenwashing. Yes, greenwashing is the phrase. Yeah, we go. I didn't want to say, but um, but obviously you can tell. You know, you're passionate. You're the bloke behind it. You and the yeah. brothers. And you know, I think as long as you can show that, and I think we we've got it in. You know, my business. You can yeah. you know you can really sort of see the difference between you and the guy that's just doing it for the money. Mm. With your business, you start with a passion. Yeah, yeah. and your passion then you follow your passion and the money follows you know which is great if you know but it, it's a business you employ people locally in Bristol yeah. and you know all sorts which which has a, a much wider reach than just a tasty banger so to speak mm. um, so yeah it, like it's great and it's, it's good to see local businesses do well not just in the local market but obviously nationally as well um, so talking about local businesses and and, and local people and Sounds like really League of Gentlemen back in the day. Yeah, oh, you're local, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, all right, uh, right, Babs. Um, what, what other people? Who do you look up to in your sort of local community, Bristol yeah. sort of business, and and sort of any sports people, or who, who's your sort of three top people that you'd say? You'd... Um, I guess businesses. Um, so, like, I guess when we were y- younger, I looked up to more restaurants than food brands, but. There was, there was like one in the early days that definitely influenced us, which definitely, you know, deserves a shout out. It's Tristan from Pie Minister. It, you know, he, I think you might be yeah. surprised to hear that, but like, I remember kind of looking at their growth. You know, they've got quite a few pie shops, really good, like fantastic business. Um, so those guys um, followed the lounges' success. Um, you know, they're from Bristol. Those guys, um, as in the Brunella Lounge, and yeah, all of those guys have followed that. I don't know them well, but yeah. um, followed that, um, which has been great. Um, and I know a lot of, I know a fair few of the like independent um, uh, retailers and restaurateurs, and I kind of take my hat off to those guys. So the guys that own Season and Taste and Larkin at Wacky Co, mm. um, just really good people and good operators. Um, uh, Hobbs House Bakery. I uh, don't know if you know those guys. They're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Family business, grown a lot into food service. Have their own shops. Um, a fantastic. I mean, we're so lucky. Bristol is absolutely yeah, ramoed, it, full it, of great. It, it's like yeah, you can do anything yeah. food-wise in Bristol. You know, I think, and actually, it isn't. I mean, Christ, you remember when Tesco's tried to go in on Stokescroft, yeah. and there was yeah. a big uproar, and you know, quite rightly so because. A lot of people in Bristol with the the food sort of industry, mm. you know, you got like the Josh Eggleton and yep. the Dom at uh, Pasta Loco, and all yeah. they all have a purpose. Mm. You know, it's not they, they all just want to please people. Mm. You know, I was going to say please people orally, but that sounds a little bit dodgy. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, please people by having amazing food yep. with actually a story. You know, and you look at any good business in Bristol, be it food, be it you know financial advisors that um, or you know even um, some of the businesses along Wapping Wharf you know they've got a purpose they've got a reason they've got a story mm. and if you can sell that story and show people that you actually mean well mm. people buy it and, and, and all of a sudden become brand ambassadors and I think obviously you've seen that with, with, with Jolly Hog and especially you know especially me and my team with, with Pigsty and uh, but it raises um, it really raises the stakes and that's not a pun it really does because it means that if everyone cares about quality in what they're doing, then the competition's high and the, the expectations are high. So 
what we deliver down here and in other places has to be good to compete because Bristol's a small place, right? Absolutely, and, and I think I think the one thing I, I do enjoy and see sort of locally, you know, things like um, during COVID breaking bread up yeah. on the downs. You know, you had two or three of like some of Bristol's biggest restaurants. Yeah. Now, some some people, you know, in business, oh, I wouldn't do that, wouldn't eat there because it's the competitors. No. Like when you work well together, mm. you've got one common goal. There's enough slice of the pie, excuse the pun, for, for everyone. Yeah. I think, you know, that's when it sort of really works. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, um, I think really big well done because, you know, it, it, it's really worked. And, and, you know, it's nice to see a local uh, local company on the shelves in, uh, in Tesco's because. Uh, Thanks, mate. I mean, all I would say is that, like, it's me sat here with you, but obviously I've got my brothers who, you know, I like to think together we're. Well, we are a really, really good team, uh, and it's. I guess it's fairly unique that we all actually still get on. Uh, we work together with each other every day. We're really tight, uh, and we still love it. Um, so I think that's been uh, a recipe for us to succeed. Uh, what I would say is we're not there yet. We've got loads to go after. Absolutely. We've also got an amazing team here. Um, uh, as sort of fifteen, sixteen of us at Hog HQ that drive it, and the guys are brilliant and super passionate. Brilliant. How do you find working with your brothers? Good. I it's, used to um, do it and I hated it. <laughs> yeah. And lots of people say, like, how is it? And I guess um, we do get on really well. I guess it takes time to get an understanding of what um, you know what each other's skill set is because you can't be doing everything all the time together, you know, all of the same things. So we, you know, quickly kind of got that nailed down and worked out who's going to do what. And it works. Um, do we have Barney's? 100%. Um, decent Barney sort a few things out get back on track I think what we're quite good at is having a bit of a, a heated debate about something and then actually an hour later it's all sorted and we've got it we, you know, we're back on track fundamentally we are we've got the same values um, and we've got the same passion for what we do so it means actually it's pretty easy so as you're, business, winning, as you're winning half the battle already aren't yeah, you as business partners it's like okay we're on the same page so uh, it's good but yeah we're, we're, we're different definitely definitely but I think uh, sitting in a room with you at about eight foot five and <laughs> much bigger than me I don't know how big and tall your yeah, your brothers are but uh, it's probably uh, like our food bill at home was mental like mum we laugh but like we, that's where we learn about mass catering um, because mum <laughs> mum was literally like she put dinner down it'd be wolfed down it was like it was every man for himself at the dinner table there'd be like full scraps like a scene spikes. from a cartoon where yeah. you've got like all the dust it, going pretty much Josh there. stabbed me with a fork once because I nicked a pig and blanket off his plate I, I still got a scar on my hand from it. Um, yeah, it was it was carnage. But um, yeah, Spagball Mondays were a big thing in our gaff. Still, no, no white shirts. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Orange faces, uh, and that was great. Paella, fajitas are always a yeah favorite family favorite. So okay, so I think yeah, you've wrapped it up. I think you've got a really good business. You've been able to sort of you know transform your rugby career into a really successful business one. On to the jovial stuff. Yes. What would you say is your funniest Bristol story slash memory? Either from uh, your rugby days or just growing up and around Bristol. Um, Bristol story. Well, I need to have a think about this. But I, I, for my 21st, we had a party where it was a pee party. Um, and a pee party? As in everyone has to dress up for something beginning with pee. Um, and I went as a phantom. Josh, my brother, went as a pee, like fully... <laughs> like green yeah um and yeah it was a good crack ended up um swimming in the docks 
um, learning that I had Viles disease in there. Um, I don't know if you had a swim in the docks, Bristol docks. Yeah. Not great, is it? No. Um, so I did Very that. Very boozy night on the apple and uh, yeah. inverted commas fell in. So. Uh, oh, right, okay. Um, no, I, I'm trying to think of great memories of Bristol. There's so many. So like great nights in the quarry tap um, where we'd go in there as a rugby team and um, I don't know if the listeners have heard about quarry tap, but there's like um, one... Uh, called an exhibition which they serve in only, half only pints. in half pints only in half pints because the the urban myth is that um, so a student died um, from drinking a pint, <laughs> pint of it so they only do it in half pints but um, yeah um, some amazing dies. amazing evenings in there um, where you just come out and you can't even see um, I need to have a think about that so many good memories no, it sounds good it's a really good place to grow up and the Corrie Tap as a shout out is, is a fantastic pub I think the last time I was in there again for a, a half pint of exhibition <laughs> I don't know whether randomly Kasabian were playing on the drums and wow. having, a, having a jamming set in there so I, and I, I thought I'd only had two halves yeah. but I might have had a lot more but uh, but it turns out apparently the drummer's from Bristol so uh, much <laughs> with uh with a lot of sort of uh, successful, famous people. So it leads me on to my final question of the podcast. We're going to be asking every single person that we yeah. interview this, who is Banksy? Mm. Robin. Robin. R- Robin Banks. He went to our school. Went to your school? Yeah. You think... Basically, that's what everyone in Bristol that I know says. Ro- uh, Robert Cunningham, I think, they said it was. Is it? Yeah. So there's a lot of different people. Mm. Um, you know, I've heard Goldie. I've got, yeah. I mean, he did... You know, I met Goldie two weeks ago. Did you? So I was at Glastonbury. Oh, nice. And it was mental. Goldie, we opened up the hatch at like nine o'clock on the Thursday. Was this last week? Two weeks ago. And this like really flash Land Rover Defender pulls up out the front. And he's like, yeah, go have a bacon sandwich. And I looked and I was like... Teeth full of metal. That's Goldie. Uh, and he, anyway, he came out, he had, a, he had his fake moustache on. He comes straight from a gig at Block 9. Um, off his nut, I'd say. I'd say he was off his nut. Um, and uh, he came into the stall, did a whole piece of content. He's got loads of followers. He's a bit of a legend, actually. Loves Bristol. He needs to get Goldie on. Loves Bristol. Anyway, he came back. Because um, rumour is, he is Banksy. Is that the chat? Apparently so. Well, it's interesting, because he said he came back at lunchtime. Yep. and it was at our peak trade so it was rammed he came into the just climbed into the stall <laughs> started helping himself to pork and stuff he was on great form again but the fact he came back for lunch was brilliant and he was like we started talking about Bristol and he was like yeah yeah I was in Bristol last week at a gig knows a load of people and yeah. he started talking about his artwork because he started off as an artist yeah you, I don't know if you know this and, um, and then he started showing me all this stuff and I was like that's amazing right. and it was actually it was genuinely really good uh, but I didn't realise that was where he started he's got an MBE yeah, I know. He's uh, yeah, he's he DJ. Yeah, yeah, he was, wasn't he? And then because the other thing is, is yeah, I mean, this is the question that I, I I'm thinking is the more podcasts mm. we do, the bigger mm. clues we get. We find out everyone from Bristol, yeah. someone's going to slip up. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who's got an art business, his wife was telling us a story the other day that Robert, uh, not Robin, I keep saying Robin Banks, but Banks, he walked into a pub. She knows who he looks like, and. Um, but would never ever say anything to anyone because it's kind of like an unwritten rule. Yeah. You never do. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I'm not in that industry, but I quite like it. I quite like that. I think it's good about the uh, the secrecy. I mean, it, it was when he did, was it Dismaland in Western? Yeah. So just down the road, he sort of got an old disused yeah. theme park and made it look great. I mean, Christ, it's, you had Brad Pitt down there, Johnny Depp, yeah. like all famous people. 
and there was a big, big sort of thing in the in the news that Banksy has gone undercover as a parking attendant at his own um, art exhibition. Amazing. So there's this picture. And I just opened this paper, or I think it was on the Daily Mail online or whatever, so I had absolutely no chance. Because this guy that is literally, if you Google it, parking attendant, Banksy, Tropa, yeah. uh, not Tropicana, uh, Disneyland. Do it now. There is a guy and they've been t- pitching him. It basically turns out this person is my old IT teacher <laughs> at school who got Banksy. Um, yeah bo- booted out for reasons we won't discuss. But yeah, I was like, that is definitely not Banksy. That is uh, Mr. That's So-and-so brilliant. from uh, So-and-so school, which I will not name, but yeah, in a nice high vis. But uh, Ollie, really, really good to, to have you on. Um, it's been some really good insight into your history, your rugby career, your business, and uh, I wish you every success for the future. Thanks, mate. I've enjoyed it. It's been sweaty, but I've really enjoyed it. Top man. Sweaty, sweaty mess. Over and out. Cheers, guys.